The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, a very warm welcome to this Friday edition of Scorebox. Already been a, a stunningly busy week. We'll offer you one more day of the same with Juliana Tattlebaum and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Technology stocks leading a turnaround on Wall Street, but U.S. equities look set to break multi-week winning streaks, with the Nasdaq eyeing its worst run since April. Uh, the Bank of England, uh, I'm sure you're aware by now, delivered a 50 basis point rate hike. Investors eyeing retail sales data out later this morning, one hour's time. All of this after the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey played down the possibility of a looming recession. We're not expecting, we're not desiring a recession, but we will do what is necessary to bring inflation down to target. Siemens Energy scraps its outlook for the year after finding further technical problems in its turbine unit Gamesa. With the group warning it faces costs of over 1 billion euros, sending shares sharply lower. And President Joe Biden hails a new era in the U.S.-India relationship as the White House rolls out the red carpet for the Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, unveiling a flurry of new deals. A region where all nations, small and large, are free and fearless in their choices. A very warm welcome to Squawk Box, everybody. Thank you for joining Steve and myself on this Friday morning. Let's get you a check on Asian trade and how things stand right now as we uh, prepare for the morning here in Europe. Uh, just a reminder, we've got mainland Chinese markets closed today for a holiday, but the ones that are trading are trading lower. Hang Seng and Hong Kong are leading the losses down more than 2% this morning. The Nikkei 225, which has been a really strong performer of late, is pulling back as well. A bit of profit-taking, perhaps. That benchmark down about 2% as well. Over in South Korea, we're also seeing some red, a little bit more modest, though, in terms of the scale of the losses, down about nine-tenths of percent. And the Australian market also pulling back by about one and a half percent. Now, in terms of U.S. markets, uh, the trade yesterday actually saw Wall Street generally end higher. Here's a picture to my right here uh, of what, what we saw yesterday. The tech-heavy Nasdaq gained about 1%, so those mega-cap tech stocks outperforming, uh, breaking a three-day losing streak. The S&P 500 also broke a three-day losing streak, edging about 0.4% higher. The Dow Jones, though, ended flat yesterday. This says the Fed Chair Jerome Powell wrapped up his testimony before Congress, reiterating to the Senate Banking Committee this time that more interest rate hikes are likely in the months ahead. So no major change from what we've heard recently. Here's a picture week to date of what we've seen on Wall Street. It has been a move lower for uh, the three major benchmarks. All of the major indices are lower on the week coming into today's session. Now in terms of volatility, I want to give you a picture of the VIX and where things stand in the VIX volatility index. Hopefully we can get you that. Uh, here we have it pulling back yesterday uh, to about 12.91. And here's a longer-term picture of where we have been in the VIX over uh, the last uh, six months or so. Now, in terms of commodity markets, here's how WTI and Brent are trading this morning. We got a bit of a pullback here, so risk-off sentiment uh, coming through across various asset classes. WTI down 1% to now below $70 a barrel. Brent is still holding above the $70 mark at $73 a barrel, but also down 1%. 
Now, in terms of Europe, yesterday we saw the European equity market pull back. The stock 600 lost about 0.5%, its fourth negative session in a row. Uh, and here's a, some granularity in terms of where the trade came in. We did end off the lows. We were trading more than 1.5% lower uh, in the early hours yesterday over a number of these markets. But we closed off the lows. FTSE 100 uh, closed about 8 tenths of 8% lower. And that, of course, firmly in focus with the Bank of England yesterday. Uh, super, Julian. Julian, there's a couple of things. Um, can we go back and show a bit of that VIX again? I, I just find this quite extraordinary, having been a student of volatility for, dare I say it, longer than a lot of our viewers have been alive, um, just for my previous profession. I find it extraordinary. We've got a 12.9, is it now? 12.91 on the VIX, which is basically just a measure of the most traded, most active, at-the-money volatility. There's all kinds of volatility indicators out there, but this is the one which is as reliable a benchmark as any. You can have single stock volatility, which is at a different level. You can have all kinds of different measures. But we use this one because it, it's a fairly reliable benchmark on appetite for risk management. Not appetite for risk, because I don't believe for one moment that it is an index of fear. What I believe it is, is an insurance policy. If you take out a long premium position, you are buying an insurance policy against other positions that you have uh, and hoping that movement will happen uh, so that you can have some form of protection or an outright position on it. At 12.9, that is one of the cheapest levels I've ever seen historically over a sustained period of time, if it does stay down here as well. It must be the only insurance product out there that as it gets cheaper, less people take it out. We all know about premiums. We all know that in the insurance world at the moment, premiums are going up left, right and centre on the renewal season because they can, because they've got more pricing power at the moment. There's more risk around, but they are allowing, the customers are allowing them to pass on higher premiums. And of course, the repricing of the cost of money has meant actually that the insurance industry has now a little bit more uh, wiggle room in terms of the premiums. But this is the only insurance product in the world which is going down in terms of cost at the moment, give or take. I mean, there's a bit of hyperbole in there, but you know what I'm saying as well. And people, as we continue to rise in the market or stay roughly at these elevated levels, people are not taking out premium protection, mm. by and large. That's what it's saying to me because the price is going down. Right. I find that extraordinary. It's also a, a bit counter to the fact that we're you know, seeing investors still quite bearish. And you raised the point, I believe, yesterday that we've seen uh, an uptick in short interest across the market. Clearly, investors are positioning to some degree for a downturn, and yet volatility remains incredibly low. Yeah, but, but where those short positions are concentrated are on the most celebrated names out there. Though the most celebrated names out there are the seven to ten stocks, depending on what you look at, that are having this enormous rally. Your Nvidia's, your Tesla's, well, they're the ones where the largest short interest is out there. So. Whilst absolutely that is a fact that more short interest is growing on those stocks, it's also the case that there's a wealth of money from elsewhere which is thwarting that short interest and, and really propelling what I believe full-heartedly, and I'm not saying it's the wrong strategy, but I believe full-heartedly it's a momentum trade rather than a valuation trade. We'll, we'll part that there. The other thing I wanted to say just very briefly is there's a new narrative in town. Oh, I love a new narrative. I love a new narrative because people invent these things and say, oh, love, this, is, this is why this is happening. And the new narrative in town is, guess what? If we go higher on our interest rates now, we have a lower terminal rate. So it's a win-win. So we may be going more aggressively at the Bank of England now on our interest rate hikes now, but we won't have to get to 6%. And I find that a very spurious argument potentially. Uh, given the fact that every time the central banks have said they've got a handle on interest rates and on inflation, right. they seem to be getting it wrong. 
Let me fill in the gaps. The Bank of England hiked rates by a surprise 50 basis points on Thursday, taking its base rate to 5%. That is the highest level in 15 years. Money markets are now pricing in 75 basis points of tightening over the next two meetings. Goldman Sachs predicting another half point hike in August. That's a hike from them. Uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt will meet representatives from banks and building societies today amid a growing crisis over surging mortgages. Uh, after the average two-year fixed rate hit 6% for the first time since 2008. And the standard variable, I've just seen an 8% handle. Right, speaking after the decision, Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, reaffirmed the central bank's commitment to reducing inflation. We've got to get, and we will get, inflation back to its target. To do that, I have to be clear, and we expect inflation to come down this year, to do that, we cannot continue to have the current level of wage increases and we can't, can't have companies seeking to rebuild profit margins which means prices continue to go up at their current rates. But what I would say to people is we expect inflation to come down and it's important then that price setting and wage setting reflects that because the current levels, I'll be absolutely honest, are unsustainable. And Prime Minister Rishi Sunak backed up the bank's decision. It's right that the Bank of England takes uh, strong action to bring inflation down. They've got a target to get it back down to 2%. It's right that they deliver on that because ultimately, right, it is the best thing for the country. Right? There is no short-term easy fix to this. There's no shortcut. Anyone standing you here telling you there's some shortcut is not being straight with you. Right? So those of us who are responsible for this have to take the responsible decisions in the long-term interests of our country and all of you. That's what I'm doing and that's what the Bank of England are doing too. Let's get you a check on the latest trade in UK markets on the back of this 50 basis point rate hike. Right now, you've got the two-year trading above 5%. So the two-year, uh, the front end of the curve jumped up yesterday. Uh, the 10-year trading around 4.37%, so a serious step lower than what we're seeing at the front end. And then the 30-year gilt is trading uh, with a yield slightly weaker this morning, slightly lower, excuse me, 4.476%. Now, sterling uh, this morning, the UK currency, Currency is trading around 127.09 versus the dollar. We are lower on the day. Fairly tight range considering all of the, the, the drama surrounding the decision. 127.09 is the level. And in terms of trade in the UK equity market, uh, FTSE 100 did end lower yesterday by about eight tenths of a percent. Uh, but just as I mentioned at the start of the show, we did close off the lows, not just in the UK, but across Europe. Yeah, what do we get at? 74, 75 or something I saw? Maybe a bit lower. Uh, right, UK consumer confidence surprised to the upside in June to reach, we're well, still minus 24, uh, but apparently it's the highest level in 17 months. This according to GFK, which also found optimism in the outlook for personal finance. Really? It really did it? It found optimism in the outlook for personal finances? I find that extraordinary. Anyway, uh, which uh, apparently increased by seven points and neared positive territory for the first time since 2021. I haven't spoken to anyone, rich, poor, somewhere in between like most of us, that actually feels their finances are getting better in the current environment. Anyway, uh, it's seven years today since maybe they only spoke to savers. Uh, it's seven years today since the Brexit referendum in which uh, was it today? I thought it was the 24th. It's the 23rd today, isn't it? I thought the Brexit referendum was on Twitter. Maybe the result was on 24th. Anyway, uh, in which time the UK... I'm just having all these conscious thoughts between myself. Uh, in which time the UK has left the EU, seeing five prime ministers. Is it really five? Should we try and name them? And we've changed monarch, bless her. Who are the five? Cameron? Mm. May? 
Johnson, Truss. Truss, Sunak. Sunak. Yes, five, wow. You don't, uh, and we haven't had to keep track of. It, 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 it was last year, wasn't it? Uh, it's been a time of change for the markets too, with UK equities uh, underperforming those on the continent. Let's get to Mark Barnett, fund manager at Telworth Investments. Hey, Mark, how are you? Well, I'm fine. Um, I mean, look, we can talk about the individual market and, and where we're at at the moment in terms of its valuation. But in terms of what Brexit has done to the equity market, in your view, has it done anything? Or is it the fact that we're so international, it doesn't matter? It, we are, well, certainly we are a very international market in the UK. Um, Brexit, w- in a sense, Brexit added to a level of uncertainty, politi- political uncertainty, the, 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 the delay over achieving a deal, uh, an outcome, um, and really only that's happened in the last 12 months. Uh, and then the government's the reluctance to, or it was, it, it's been whole, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been, withholding its, its, some of its powers. So it hasn't used the kind of, the kind of new powers that it gained uh, post-Brexit. And so uh, in a sense, the, the stock market has been, has, 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 you know, has been suffering in part because of, because of that. But clearly, with the international component of the, of the market, yeah. we are, we're, we're being unfairly targeted, in yeah. my view. I, I think that's a very fair... Because, I mean, look, you've got all these massive international companies, and we all know who they are in the FTSE 100. The fact is that they are internationally based, they, they trade in dollars most of the time, it shouldn't really affect them domestically. No. What about the, the, the smaller mid-caps? That's where people tell me, actually, I need to look if I am seeing the ramifications of Brexit. Um, certainly, well, it, clearly the, the valuation discrepancy that now exists um, between, between you know, la- large, small and mid, particularly the small cap end of things, um, where you've got you know, more domestic bias, you know, that you, you know, that you could attribute to... to, to to, to Brexit. I mean, I think, you know, personally, I think the, the, you know, the fundamental issue around UK equities is the, is the, the, the allocation issues for pension funds and, incre- and increasingly for, for private individuals. Right, what is, have, what the, is the allocation right, issue? What, what we know about is, and this predates Brexit, what we know about is, is, is that pension funds have been allocating from equities into bonds. Um, because of the de-risking, uh, it goes back to you know early part of this of this century, so over 20 years ago, uh, and that process has meant even within the equity allocation, their their allocation towards UK has been has been diminishing and shrinking. So just as an example, when I started managing money 30 years ago, you know pension funds would have probably 50 or 60 percent of their allocation uh, in UK equities. It's now down into single figures. So you've had a huge headwind, uh, and that's now replicated itself with wealth managers who, for private clients, have done the same thing. So they've had bigger allocations in overseas equity markets than in the UK. And that's the core of the problem here is that you, you don't have demand, sufficient demand for UK equities. Um, and I think, I think the government's on it. I think we have, we, 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 you know, there are a number of work streams. There's a, there's a, there's a capital markets task force that the government's kicked off with. Um, and there are, there are a number of reports being written at, you know, because businesses like Arm, which have decided to, 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 list, right. to, to list outside the UK, has obviously raised issues with the government thinking we've got a problem here. It, it is sort of wild looking back to think that the UK government allowed ARM to effectively le- get acquired. That Looking back and, and thinking about how critical ARM is to um, the whole chip making space, it is really wild that that asset was let go. Yeah. Um, but yeah. le- let me come back to today and I think the issue that's top of everyone's mind on the back of the hotter than expected inflation print and now that the Bank of England decision yesterday, there's a ton of concerns swirling around the housing market and what's going to happen with um, 
mortgage mortgage holders. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, the chancellor, is poised to meet with bank lenders today. I'm curious what you're expecting and if you expect any government intervention um, in the mortgage market to help support households. And if so, what kind of intervention might we see? I think it's very, very unlikely that the government are going to intervene because they recognize that that would only prolong and perhaps exacerbate the inflation problem that, that we have. Um, they, they will encourage lenders to extend forbearance, which I know that's been the case, and that was certainly the case during the pandemic. So lenders are, are you know, the last resort is to repossess a property. So lenders will, will exhibit forbearance, and I'm sure the Chancellor will be encouraging them to extend and broaden those, mm-hmm. th- those measures. To, to be able to help, um, to be able to help out, because frankly, let's let's remember we've spent the last 15 years rebuilding commercial bank balance sheets. You know, the post-crisis period has been all about re- recapitalizing the balance oh, sheets of banks. Forbearance just looked like reinventing a product that was taken out of the market, which was interest-only mortgage. Um, the interest-only mortgage were taken out of the market. Now they just, that's what you do to, as a form of forbearance. You don't pay down the underlying, but you just pay the interest as well. well. Be, Isn't that a form of forbearance? It is a form of forbearance. And it, well, it, it, what we're trying to do is make, is make the, monthly, the monthly repayments, uh, the, the adjustment from the interest rate more, more, more manageable. Yeah. And there are a number of ways of doing that. One of them is to switch away from capital and interest to interest only. Uh, the other way of doing it is to extend the terms, and I think that's going to be something that the Chancellor will be, that the banks are going to what, be. You mean pres- something that Gordon Brown talked about at the turn of the century finally might be thinking that the UK, a UK could have a meaningful long-term mortgage market, which has been, let's yeah. face it, pathetically marketed, pathetically uh, proposed. It's, it's, whereas, yeah, we talk about the 30-year mortgage rate in the US all the time because it's such an important benchmark. There's no such thing as a 30-year mortgage rate in the UK. It's, it's awful. And that's why the US is sitting in a much more comfortable position right now, I yeah. think, in its housing market. I, I think yeah, I mean, I, w- I mean, it would be. I think absolutely. I mean, and we could all say, you know, I wish we'd have done that five years ago. Um, but the but um, but actually, extending terms will you know will help out. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is, and 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 I and I, and I noticed the, the 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 earlier news piece about consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, the breakdown of home ownership in the UK is very interesting. Only about a third of house houses have mortgages. Um, two, one third are, are entirely owned uh, without any mortgage. The other third is in a variety of rent, either social housing or, or in private rental. So when we talk about the pain felt by mortgage owners, we're not talking about the entire picture here. Mm. We're talking about a subset but of the picture. But surely the third that outright own their homes and don't have mortgages, they're likely in the older bucket who are not going to be the swing consumers in the economy. So the ones that do hold mortgages arguably are the ones that are going to affect where we are in the cycle. They, they will be, they will be, the propensity to consume yes, certainly, yes, certainly will be higher. Um, but but you know those but those individuals many of them will have had will have had will have seen you know, six or seven percent pay increases. Um, so the other side of the equation in terms of their own finances, it, in many respects, will will have been improving as as a result of the of the of the, of the wage increases we've seen. And I think again that part of the debate gets lost uh, when discussing the whole the whole picture. You are a fund manager. Where's the value in the London market? The London it's across the board. Uh, there is extreme valuation discrepancy in the UK market 
for the, partly for the reasons we've discussed around, around politics, but the companies that are trading here are at discounts to their international comparators yeah. simply because they have a UK quote. Um, we'll leave it there because we have to because we've got so much queued up. But I, I think there's a much bigger argument there and, or debate, and I'd like to do that with you as well at some stage. So please join us again. Thanks for coming That's in early. I know it's a shock to the system for people, but see, it wasn't too, wasn't too long a journey there. Uh, Mark Barnett, Fund Manager at Telworth Investments. Thank you, sir. Coming up on Squawk Box, Siemens Energy withdraws its full-year guidance after bigger-than-expected issues at its wind turbine unit. We'll discuss more after this break. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Right, when does a bad situation get really bad? Well, when it's Siemens Gamesa at the moment, because Siemens Energy, the parent, withdrew its profit guidance for the full year after bigger than expected quality issues at its wind turbine unit, Gamesa. Uh, the energy giant says it conducted a review of the business and found production problems that could cost the company more than 1 billion euros. Uh, speaking to CNBC last month, the Siemens Energy CFO, Maria Ferraro, said the company, though, was confident, though, that Gamesa would uncover and fix all technical issues over the coming years. It wasn't so long ago that we had such, you know, things like supply chain bottlenecks, logistic costs, raw, raw material price increases. That continues to have impact on our long lead business like Siemens Gamesa. Again, they're in the middle of their transformation. We remain confident that they continue to identify the root causes and they're clearly making progress. And beyond 24, we see that stabilization occurring. Uh, Annette, Annette, this is it's getting ridiculous now. For as long as this been an individual company spun off from Siemens, there's been problems with Gamesa. How is it just getting so much worse? I mean, having quality control issues on such a scale. Yes, it's incredible, I have to say. But if you look at what she's saying, Maria, and they are identifying the root causes of the problems. And I guess this is just one root cause, the quality problems. You have to look at the business in two ways, or actually two, two units or two divisions. It's the onshore business, the offshore business. The offshore business actually had problems all the way long because of le- yeah, time lags in, in permissions and um, also supply chain bottlenecks, quality issues. But the onshore business actually did quite well so far, I have to say, because now the quality issues are really a major setback for the company and that 1 billion euro figure to actually uh, correct those fault rates which are too high to assure the quality they, the quality they want to have in place, it's, it's quite a setback as I was saying. But looking at the share price reaction, it was violent yesterday and after our trading, uh, and it was down at 15% and that could actually 
also um, yeah, be, that will be reflected in the opening um, call as well uh, when the shares open today. And it could actually even go lower because if you look at the shares, it's interesting. They are the fourth best performer on the DAX here today. They are up 36% together with Adidas, Rheinmetall um, and some one other. Um, so you see that that potential of market correction. They hit a record low last October um, and ever since they're up by more than 130%. And said that, the outlook, of course, is uncertain. One could say that now it's kitchen sinking time because they took them over. Siemens, um, Siemens took uh, Siemens Energy took Gamesa over the Spanish wind daughter, which now has the problems. Only in February, and they now look at the the, the situation at Siemens Gamesa at full scale. And one could argue, I don't know whether this is right or wrong, that this is now kitchen sinking, which we are seeing, and that they really now try to get the company uh, on a solid footing. I hope you're right, because I think they do need to kitchen sink this and get it over and done with, because it's been overlaying the shares. Christian Bug knows it, Maria Ferrara knows it. It's been overhanging ever since it was spun off from Siemens. Annetta, thank you for coming. I know you weren't due to speak to us this morning, but I really appreciate your insight into this one. Uh, Covestro shares, uh, well, this is an interesting one. Covestro shares, another spun-off company, uh, jumped on Thursday after the German plastics producer reportedly rejected an initial takeover bid from Adnoc. Now, that's the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi uh, National Oil Company um, saying the offer was too low. Adnoc approached Covestro to discuss a potential acquisition worth more than 10 billion euros. Covestro is reportedly open to a deal which would likely include keeping the firm independent uh, if Adnoc offers better terms. Quick word on Ricardo. Oh, my goodness me. Do we get more news on this one at 7 a.m.? I wonder. Ocado shares surged after reports, which started off in the London Times, that the company was in talks with Amazon over a possible bid. The Times reported that the e-commerce giant was set to offer 800 pence per share. Both sides declined to comment, but they didn't deny the rumours. And that's why I think maybe we've got more news to come. But uh, interesting that Amazon um, thinks that there's some value in this one. I can see what they're thinking, but uh, it's a company on the grocery side, never made a bean. It's also extraordinary. You look at 80, 800 pence per share. That's obviously a significant premium to where we are now, but well below oh, a, the highs. It's, it's roughly a quarter of the peak, isn't yeah. it, when they were sitting pretty at 30 quid, apparently. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.